0: The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. This morning, I want to talk about an epic journey or two. We'll start out there anyway. And I'll just start with a, a trivia question, or not a question, but a trivia fact, that goes way back to 1804. In 1804, Lewis and Clark began an expedition. I don't know how many have ever been down to Long Beach on our oceanfront coast down here at western Washington. If you've been down to Long Beach, you know there's a, a walking, biking path along the dune area there. And somewhere along there, there's a monument to Lewis and Clark, and their expedition, and on that is a famous quote that as they got close to the Pacific Ocean after traveling 4,000 miles overland by horse and river craft and on foot part of the way up the Missouri River to its headwaters and overland through the mountains and down the Columbia River, and finally, within earshot, and finally eye scan of the Pacific Ocean, one of the members of the crew, I don't remember if it was Lewis or Clark, but one of them said, the end is in view. So hang on to that quote for a moment. There it is. The end is in view. Then there's another epic journey that was involved my family. Not in 1804, <laughs> but in 1974. Uh, my family of five, my wife and three kids, we began an epic journey of our own sort as I was reassigned from Maxwell Air Force Base in Alabama to Eilson Air Force Base just outside Fairbanks, Alaska. And we drove that entire distance in that van, that Dodge van that's on the screen up there. That was a camper modified van. The top would raise up, it had canvas sides. We had bunks up at the gutter level for the three kids, and we slept in the dining area. What an epic journey for us. A distance of 4,500 miles from Montgomery through Seattle and on up the Alcan Highway to Fairbanks or Isleson. And as we got close to Isleson, that last night, in fact, I said to the kids, the end is in view. We're almost there. Much to my relief and really it warmed my heart, they kind of said, oh, no, do we have to stop? (laughs) They were, it was a great trip. We had a grand time camping together and just enjoying the country and the beauty, God's beauty. But those two trips, Lewis and Clark, and my trip to, from Alabama to Alaska, doesn't have anything in common. So I just I equate them from that quote. Really, they both covered a lot of ground and gained some interesting insights and useful information, and they were both the beginning of something new. The end was in view. And in some ways, that's not unlike, excuse me, not unlike us, all of us as a congregation. We've had our current Sunday series called Follow. We've been with that. It's kind of like an epic journey. We started that way back in September. Would you believe that? I went back and checked the podcasts. Way back in September, we started the series, Follow, and we've been on that journey, Follow, through Matthew ever since. We've gained some insight, hopefully. We've gained some understanding. I know I have, from all of the messages that have been presented by the various members of the staff. We've explored all the way through Matthew 7, which is where we'll get to today, the conclusion in Matthew 7. And that whole area contains within there that block of teaching that we know as a Sermon on the Mount. And that Sermon on the Mount block of that journey is kind of like that trip to Alaska that we took. We kind of camped out there for a while. <laughs> as we camped out for several spots along the way. But we've, we've camped on the Sermon on the Mount for a few Sundays. But now the end is in view. And that represents the end of that epic journey journey of sorts, by your transition team, too. Uh, it was mentioned earlier that next Sunday is Presentation Sunday. Hallelujah! <laughs> As a member of the uh, transition team, I can say, the end is in view! <laughs> Praise God. And I see some, some agreement back there on another member. That's been an epic journey, too. But God's been in control, and uh, we're, we're thankful for that. We're, we're confident of that. Well, before I get into this too much detail, let's just take a moment and pray and ask the Lord to be with us this morning as we look at his word. Lord, we do just pause for a moment. and We give thanks to you, first of all, for your word, because your word is truth. And it's your word that guides us on our journeys wherever we go, spiritually or physically. We ask you, Lord, to open up our ears this morning that we can hear what you have to speak to us through your word and through me as I speak, what I've prepared through your guidance and direction. Help us, Lord, as the end is in view to see beyond the end as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I invite you to reflect with me on our journey through the Sermon on the Mount by using the guidelines expressed in some of these final portions of Matthew. And let's begin first of all with our mission statement, because that's uh, a key part of who we are, and guided us through actually a lot of the Sermon on the Mount. And you know this; we've heard it just earlier today in the thing, and. I can't quite read the monitor that far away, but you know, CRC is a place where you're free to explore faith at your own pace and grow. I forgot to grow. Can't leave that out. Explore and grow at your own pace. So whatever, wherever you are on the journey, that's where you are, and you're free to be there as long as you're exploring and growing. And I suspect that on that trip with Lewis and Clark, the members of the expedition that were with him were free sometimes as they were having an overnight somewhere or maybe several overnights to explore the area a little bit. I certainly would, and we know that Lewis did because he was a botanist and he collected a lot of plant samples and lots of drawings. And if you've been to any of the museums that that show the episodes of that trip you know some of you've seen some of the facsimiles at least of his drawings or some of the collections so, so they they explored on that trip that was good that's what they were doing after all uh, we explored a lot on that trip on uh, our way to alaska and that was good we've explored the sermon on the mount and that's good because there's a lot of good things to know and to see and do in there so so let's take a look at maybe some concluding portions of the sermon on the mount in Matthew 7:17 7, through 20. That's coming up on your screen there. And I'm reading here from the NIV and I think that's what I had him put up there. So if it if it varies a little bit, I'm not looking from a different Bible. I'm just looking for a different translation, okay? So Matthew 7:17 7, says, "Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit." A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. When we moved up to Kent, in the front yard of our house up there were three trees, two apple and one plum tree. And when we moved in, those trees had fruit on them, But that was not good fruit. They were scrawny and wrinkly and worm-eaten. And I thought, boy, those trees have got to go. But there's an example in Scripture, and I can't call you the reference, but where a servant came to the master of the field and said, Master, these trees are not doing so good. And the master says, cut them down. And the servant basically said, well, let's give them one more year. We'll fertilize them, cut around them, irrigate them, and let's have... If they don't produce then, then we can cut them down. Okay, great. Well, that's essentially what I did there. We took a year. I did some drastic pruning on those trees, fertilizing, some little spraying, you know, good stuff. And the second year and for every year thereafter, we had some really great apples and prunes. Oh, I, those Italian prunes, plums. Oh, I love those. Anyway, we it it works. So... That's what the scripture is saying here. As we've heard all of these things from the Sermon on the Mount, the lessons, the teachings, we're the trees. And we can be good trees or bad trees. Hopefully, we're going to be good trees if we've taken those lessons and we've internalized them and made them part of who we are. We've explored and grown, I hope. And I hope, I trust that we bear good fruit as a result in Genesis chapter 2, it talks about tree, a tree particular, but it talks about some other trees as well that the Lord put into the garden there. It said, the Lord made trees grow that bore fruit that was pleasing to the eye and good for food. They were good trees. I can't imagine the Lord planting bad trees in the garden, could you? I don't, don't think so. But there was, of course, that one tree, but we're going to not deal with that one this morning. <laughs> We know what happened there. It had good fruit, though. It wasn't the tree's fault. But let's leave that for the moment. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount, we've been getting definitions, if you will, or specifications for good fruit. We shop most of our time at Fred Meyer. That just is the one that's closest and most convenient to the house where we live in Lacey. And they have good fruit. 99% of the time, at least. Occasionally, we go and we shop at another store, and I'm going to leave their name anonymous. But that other store has fruit. doesn't cost as much as the Fred Meyer fruit. But, man, it's not as good as the Fred Meyer fruit. It's edible. They've got it for sale. It has to be edible. They couldn't have it for sale. But it's not as good as Fred Meyer. I don't know what kind of trees they get from but it's not the same source, obviously. Well, these verses, that I just read there from Matthew 7, they're a reminder to us to look for the attributes or the specifications of good fruit from the Sermon on the Mount, which we should be developing in our own lives. The fruit represents spiritual character traits that we heard about from the sermon. Things like, Humility and gentleness and mercy and forgiveness and generosity and trust. And there were some others, but you get the idea. And I hope as we've gone along, each one of us have had the opportunity and made use of the opportunity to explore in our own lives those attributes or those pieces of fruit that the Sermon on the Mount was talking about. Are we really the kind of humble? Do we express? express or display in our lives a kind of humility that Jesus was talking about in the sermon. You've had some opportunity to explore that in your own life. I hope you've taken the opportunity and the other things as well. And yes, those do apply to things in our everyday life. Uh, There are those of us, and I'll include myself in that as well, that when we're doing that common thing that a lot of us do, driving. (laughs) That we have to remind ourselves constantly what kind of fruit we're bearing. (laughs) Am I humble? (laughs) Am I gentle? (laughs) Am I forgiving? (laughs) I don't always bear good fruit. I'm getting better, I think. No, I know I am. I hope I get better and better. But not just on the freeway or on the road. I hope in all areas of my life and in all areas of our, all of our lives. Going on in chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, it tells us... Well, let me just read that here. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord... Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform miracles? And then I will tell them, this is the Lord speaking, then I will tell them, depart from me. I don't know you. So it's important to have the right kind of fruit. I could express that in another way with an idiom that we're all familiar with. Actions speak louder than words. Our actions display our fruit. That's what we read there in Matthew 7. Another one says, what you do speaks so loudly that I can't hear what you're trying to say. Well, I hope that what we do is good do and not bad do. (laughs) Good fruit. That's what God calls us. That's what the Sermon on the Mount was, I think, my analysis of that, if you will. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is talking to us about. What kind of fruit, what kind of people are we? What do we? When we've explored all of the ways that we can live and all of the attributes and personality traits that any of us could possibly have, what do we settle on for ourselves? And why? And where do we get it? I mean, do we go with the truth and the Parameters that the, pardon the analogy, that the produce shoppers from Fred Meyer use when they go to find good fruit, or do we go with the shopper from that other place? (laughs) We've got specifications, of course, and they're in my digital Bible here. And that's always where we go, isn't it? We've heard that so many times from each one of our members of the staff have emphasized that so many times that if we really want to know the truth of how to live, who to live for, and what to do with what we know about it, we don't go by hearsay, we don't go by what other people look like or other people's actions because that's not always reliable. We go to the source. We go to the God's word, the Bible. Amen? Amen. So Jesus wanted his hearers to be doers of the word that he had spoken. And that's why that last section of verses that I read sounds harsh, doesn't it? Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And not everyone that says to me, didn't I prophesy in your name or do these wonderful things in your name? But I will just tell them, depart from me. I never knew you because your fruit isn't what it should be. That echoes something that James says in the first chapter of James, verses 22 through 24. And that's are familiar words, probably to a lot of us. I'm going to share with those words to you out of the message paraphrase, because I think they kind of cut to the core of what it is with us. In, in James, in the message paraphrase says, Don't fool yourself into thinking you are a listener when you let the word go in one ear and out the other. Act on what you've heard. Those who hear and don't act are like those who glance in a mirror and two minutes later have no idea who they are or what they look like. Well, let me move on. There's another slide. What do you see here? What's wrong with this picture? I don't know if any of you have ever been to uh, the Tower of Pisa. I've been blessed to have been there one time. And yeah, it really does look that bad. It's open for tourists to climb to the top, and we did that, and nothing is weirder to me than trying to climb a spiral staircase in a building that leans like that. And you study, and they've got some information there, and there's a little museum, in fact, for the tourists, and you read about what on earth happened. Did the architect really have that bad an eyesight? What happened was the Tower of Pisa was built on... Sandy ground That was not solid for its foundation And there's the result Now they've done things over the years to prop it up and be sure it doesn't, you know, keep going But it's still there and it's a wonderful reminder Of what happens when a building, in this case Is not built on a solid foundation Now, if you looked at the little bulletin insert that was in your seats as you came in this morning, you saw the title of my message this morning is A Firm Foundation. And that's really what I want you to take away from this morning. All of the examples about the kind of fruit we should be and where we get that, what's our source for that, and how do we work that out in our lives, all has to come back to this firm foundation. And so let's look at, in other words, from the Gospel of Matthew, going on in chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. This section of the chapter is known as the parable of two houses or the parable of two foundations, depending on, on your little Bible little subtitles. Those, those subtitles, by the way, are not original parts of the text. Those are just what translators or uh, paraphrasers have put into there to try to make it easier for us to understand what's being said so the parable of the two houses the parable of the two foundations it's a familiar one if you've been around church at all for any length of time so let's just um, go ahead and read that everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Anybody else want to sing? (laughs) Learn that song in Sunday school? Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their own teachers of the law. The parable of the firm foundation. One more good example from Matthew 7. To me, it represents Jesus' ability to use everyday examples to illustrate eternal truths. That's really what a parable is all about. We don't always take parables at their literal word. We're not meant to, but we are meant to look at them and look at the one that's in our sharing time this morning to contain eternal truths. Eternal truths about the good fruit that we're supposed to be bearing. So what at first seems like a story about building techniques is actually a profound conclusion of this whole section of teaching that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' hearers, of course, would be very familiar with the parable. He told it in terms that they would understand and recognize and know. Most of the houses in Jesus' day were probably built of hardened mud, kind of like adobe, If you've been down through the southwest part of our country, some of the pioneer structures that still remain and stand that were built of adobe, some of them are in good shape and some are not in such good shape. A few years ago when we had the opportunity, my wife and I, to to go to Oaxaca, Mexico on a mission trip, many of the older buildings in that town are, are adobe construction and some of them were not in good shape at all. Some of them probably because they were not built on a firm foundation. Some of them just hadn't been maintained over the years, which is another thing, of course, that we need to do to preserve the good fruit that we've got in us, to maintain what we've learned and use it properly. But Israel is a land of hills and gullies. Wadis, they call them there. The temptation to build in the wadi where the water was close at hand would be very strong. I can see myself in that day, I can almost picture myself looking for a housing site. Oh, there's a good spot. It's right close to the water. I don't have to carry that water very far. Hooray. Why would anybody want to struggle up and down a hill and build up there on the rock if you didn't have to? Uh, guess what? <laughs> Jesus knew, didn't he? You better build on the rock. Because in the stormy season, when the rains come and the floods come down those wadis and I don't know if any of you had experience in the southwest part of our country, but down in Arizona and so on, and Texas, that rain can come down those wadis without warning. Flood strength. When they come, if there's anything in the way, (laughs) look out. There's not much of a chance. The sad thing, as I'm reading this lesson and thinking about and praying about it, How am I going to explain some of this and make some of this plain to myself and hopefully to some of you? The sad thing is that some people are just as guilty of making those kind of wrong judgments in our day and often with disastrous results. And I'm not talking about building physical houses. Here's another slide. (laughs) That one on the left, that's a pretty nice looking house, isn't it? How about the one on the right? What happened there? Built right out on the sand dune. And it wasn't the rain necessarily, although it was probably rain happening at the time. But when the storm came and the waves came and the under, washed under the, the dune, there's what happens. If you go down to I'm not sure if any of them still remain there now, but a few years ago you could go down to Long Beach again or even out to ocean shores. And there were some very nice houses that were built right along the dunes facing the ocean. <laughs> Great place to live <laughs> until the floods came and undercut them and basically destroyed them. Right here on our own backyard up along the Skagit River, we've seen on the news, haven't we, some of those Places where people built right along the river. Great spot. Step right out your back door and go fishing. View is wonderful. Wildlife is around. And then the rains came. The floods came. And the river just took a little bit bigger bite than it had before. And now suddenly the house no longer has a place to stand. And it ends up in the river. Yesterday we had men's ministry meeting here. And. At the beginning of the meeting, Roy was sharing how their house out in Eatville, which is a new place for them just recently, and they're loving it out there. But with our rainy winter season that we've had, they've got cattails growing in their front yard. <laughs> Discovered that maybe their house wasn't built in a swamp, but it was maybe close to the where the cattails were anyway. He's had some settling going on because the foundation wasn't firm enough when we lived in eugene oregon we lived on a hillside a very steep hillside a split level house i discovered after we lived there the first rainy season we had an old creek bed running right through the middle of our house (laughs) under the house on one side and out the side of the house on the other side now it never caused us any harm Number one, the house had been there long enough that whatever settling was going to happen had already happened long ago and been taken care of. But we had a good, firm foundation. And so the house in that case withstood that creek that came through every rainy season. Our next slide. You've got a storm there, don't you? And right in the sea in that storm, right on the left side, what do you see there? A lighthouse. A lighthouse. There's a lighthouse that was built not like that Tower of Pisa on sand. It's a good thing they didn't build that on the sand dune. There's a lighthouse, like all lighthouses, are built on solid rock so they can withstand those kind of storms. And so just think of all of those examples and those pictures of parables, if you will, visual parables. They illustrate that eternal truth again. And Paul illustrates that eternal truth in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, Paul, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay any foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So what about all of us? What about all of you? Are you building on a solid foundation? Are you exploring faith? Sure, go ahead. Please do. That's part of our mantra here. That's our mission statement. Explore faith, but grow too in the process. And having explored, I I hope, I pray that you're building on a solid foundation of God's truth and exhibiting his good fruit in your life. That's good advice for houses and lighthouses and even towers of Pisa, too late in the game, but even more so in our personal and our congregational life. Mm -hmm. So now we're about to enter a new phase, a new part of our epic journey, if you will, with Jesus. It's already been said a couple of different times, and we were reminded this morning that next week we have the arrival of a new lead pastor candidate. Josh Pastor Josh his first name has already been vetted by our transition team we've done some exploring and l- line and checking out some things in his background and education and all of that stuff he's been approved by our regional board of directors as being licensable by Open Bible only one thing remains and that's for him to come next weekend remember To present himself and his family to us. And probably tell us some things about them. And then give us an opportunity to visit with him at the dessert time. And I I do hope that you'll all plan to come. And if you want to invite somebody else to come and say, Hey, something exciting is going on at our church. Come and hear what's happening. By all means, bring them along. They can explore and grow in their faith as well. And like Lewis and Clark we can all say together now the end is in view but Lewis and Clark didn't settle down find a comfortable spot on the dune to build their house and enjoy the view when the end was in view for them it was really just the beginning and it's really going to be just the beginning a rebeginning for us it's not a time to relax and sit back and say oh Glad that's over. No, no. It's an exciting time, but our success, our epic journey as a congregation, isn't going to be measured just on the actions and the leadership of a new pastor. Just like it hasn't been in the past, and just like our success hasn't been based on the actions of our staff alone. Thank God for our staff. What a wonderful crew we have. Give our half a stamp for our current staff. What a wonderful crew we've got. They have seen us through and guided us through an epic journey in remarkable fashion. But now the end is in view, and we have the opportunity to move on from here with Pastor Josh, probably. And our continued success and effectiveness depends on the continued involvement of everyone in the life and witness of this congregation. And your individual lives and success and effectiveness, wherever you are in that journey of exploration, depends on your continued involvement and exploration and discovery. So let's close the follow series... (laughs) We're gonna put that to bed this morning, close it because the end is in view, not the teachings, just the journey. Let's close the follow series about those teachings and build on the solid foundation, a firm foundation of his words from the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of scripture. And as we do, together we can be salt and light and good fruit in our community. To God's glory.